Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from the words of Jeremiah, the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. The time he is speaking, Jeremiah is speaking to the people in exile and giving them hope for a future. Listen now to the word of God. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword and found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers." Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria, and the planters shall plant, and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call, will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will say to us. After the Sabbath, as the first day of Easter was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I, have, I know that you are looking for the Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to, to Galilee. There you will see Him. This is my message to you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to Him, took hold of His feet, and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen. That's it. That's why we came to proclaim resurrection. 
to say and sing and praise, to lift up the beauty of creation that is unleashed by the power of resurrection. That's why we came. But there's some questions that come from that simple story, such as, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell about it? And also, what are you going to say? What are you going to say about this powerful story? What are you going to tell? And who will hear it? The Easter story is told four times in the Gospels in the Bible. The, the Gospels are the, the lives of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they have a lot of things that overlap, but they have some things that are distinct to each and every one of them. The resurrection accounts all have the same basic account, but they have different little variations to them. The basic pieces of it are Jesus was dead. He was crucified. He was executed. He was betrayed. He was abandoned by his disciples. He is dead. And he was put in a tomb. But he's not there. He's not there. He has risen. And we are to tell people about it. That's it. That's sort of it. Jesus was dead. He, was, he is not here. He has risen. Tell folks. You've heard this story, not only here in this telling, but you've heard it in other places as well, probably, I would guess. Different ways of sharing that. And you may have a variety of reactions. Some have questions about it. Really? Some have doubts. Some don't care. But it's the story that's there. It's the story that brings us here. It's the story that's been bringing Christians together for 2,000 years. The word tell is, is a compelling word. In the Gospels, Jesus does a lot of telling. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all has been accomplished. Jesus is telling us. In Matthew 8, there's a story of a centurion, a Roman official who goes to Jesus because his daughter is very, very ill, and he asks Jesus to intervene for her. And Jesus replies with amazement, Truly, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. When Jesus is teaching about John the Baptist, when he's asked a question about who John the Baptist is, he says, what then do you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. When we tell, when Jesus told us things, when we tell other people things, we announce, we reveal, we disclose, we give evidence. We even have a phrase for it, tell it like it is. Tell, go forth and tell. Matthew's gospel provides two accounts for the tale we could tell about the resurrection. There is the tale of Mary Magdalene 
and the other Mary as they come to the tomb that morning. They go to see the tomb. That's what the gospel says. They go to see the tomb. But the stone there has rolled away as they arrive, and an angel appears. And the angel gives them a message. Don't be afraid. Yeah, right. Like the world just opens up. There's an earthquake around you. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus? Well, he's not here. He has risen. Come over here. I'll show you where he was, but he's not there now. You need to go back and tell the disciples that they have to go to Galilee, and there, there, they will see him. That's one tale to tell, but there's another tale as well. It's the tale of the guards. Did you catch that? The religious officials who had set the crucifixion in motion remembered that Jesus said he was going to rise again, and they didn't want any shenanigans. So they went to Pilate, and they said to Pilate, we want some security at the tomb. We don't want anybody breaking in and stealing the body and saying that he's risen. We don't want that. And Pilate said yes, so he sent a detachment of guards to, the, to be there to guard them. They were there at the resurrection. Did you hear? They were there when the tomb, when the stone was rolled away. They were there to hear the words of the angels, but they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't because, as one version says, they shook and became like dead men. Or another one says, they were so frightened they could not move. They saw it all, but they were immobilized by it. The earthquake came and broke it open for them, broke the world open for them and for us. But what story did they tell? What did they say? Well, when you continue reading in Matthew, after the, the gospel reading this morning in verses 11 through 15, you hear this. While the women were going to tell the disciples, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest everything that had happened. And the priest had assembled with the elders. They devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, there's that word again, telling them, you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story is still being told among the Jews to this day. It really didn't happen. That tale of the guards is still around. That's what the story is. The Scripture shares it with us. It's there. Sometimes we hear that there's a new theory or a new explanation about the resurrection. Jesus was drugged, or he had been in some sort of really deep sleep, or he feigned death, or it was staged, something like that. Some difference in presentation. But the tale that's being told is not new. It's been there for a long time, from the very beginning. 
So which tale is it that you and I would choose to tell about this account? Which tale draws us to hope and grace? Which tale is compelling enough that we would be willing to tr try, maybe not completely get it, but, but try to live our lives in such a way that it shapes who we are? It's not simply a matter of believing what is right. It is a matter of deciding which tale we will follow and share. The Methodist Bishop William Williman has said that there are many ways to explain the resurrection and his uh, cohort and co-writer on many occasions, uh, the theologian Stanley Hauerwas, goes further when he writes, we cannot explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains us. We cannot explain the resurrection. The, ex the resurrection explains us. Huh? What does that mean? We would not be here today, 2,000 years almost, after these events, were it not for some compelling power, some drawing source of life and grace. A tale of body snatching isn't, gonna, isn't going to sustain a community for 2,000 years. It's not going to get people to organize to try to feed hungry folks or to share the good news or to teach children to read or to improve water wells or to do any of the things that Christian mission work has been doing for 2,000 years, you're not going to do that because you, get, you follow a story about zombies. It's just not going to happen. The story is that something powerful broke into the world, and the power of death was curtailed. The power of death was cut open and a new way of living, a new way of life was opened to us. Followers of Jesus have been living in this story, living in this reality ever since. And followers of Jesus don't always get it right. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, you know that. The church history is full of of tales of, of woe and all sorts of things that are not necessarily pretty. We may know in our own experience that sometimes church gets to be a contact sport and things get said that hurt, an elbow gets thrown or a, a leg gets extended to trip somebody up. Sometimes that happens to us. But if we're really honest, we need to say that sometimes we do that as well. Not just in church, but maybe at work or at school or in the neighborhood. We do things that we know aren't necessarily good or life-producing or life-affirming, but we do them anyway for whatever reason. And the question that confronts us is what tale do we tell today knowing and listening 
to the witness of the Gospels. What tale do we tell today? In Bible times and for much of human history, the testimony of women has not been valued or affirmed or even allowed in legal processes or in community events. Today, circumstances are very, very different, praise God. But there remain places in our culture and our society where women's testimony is not readily trusted as much as a man's tale would be. Women are attacked, and oftentimes they become a victim all over again in trying to find justice. A man may express vulnerability and be praised for authenticity and integrity, but when a woman does it, she may be criticized as being weak or timid. I pray that as my granddaughter grows up, the world will change in all of the ways that are necessary so that her testimony will be able to be proclaimed clearly in whatever she does. That's the world we live in. Yet, it was to women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, and then you look at the other three Gospels, they're all women who get the message first that Jesus has been raised. The body is not there. It's not a matter of being encapsulated in a tomb. It's a matter of being open to new life. All four Gospels share that proclamation. That is powerful powerful. The disciples to whom the women go to tell the tale, the disciples were like Peter, who on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had stood outside in the courtyard while the legal proceedings were going on, and he says, I don't know that guy. Weren't you with him? No, I don't know him. Yeah, I saw you with him. No. Yeah, you cut off that guy's ear. No, wasn't me, wasn't me. That's Peter. The disciples had been with Jesus before that in the garden, and they were waiting while Jesus prayed, and what did they do? They fell asleep. Jesus is trying to wrestle with this huge uh, boulder that is rolling at him, and the disciples fall asleep. At the actual execution, the crucifixion event on Calvary, they all disappear. John's gospel says there was one that was there, but the other three gospels don't mention them at all. They're AWOL. They are AWOL. And Mary Magdalene and Mary are told to go and share this news with the disciples and tell them to get up to Galilee so they can hear again and see again the risen one. Galilee. Galilee was the place that they were from. It was back home. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had fished the waters of Galilee. The disciples knew the streets of Capernaum and the other hill cities on the hillsides around that place. 
They knew Galilee. And Galilee was the place where Jesus had told them to go. And the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is the way Matthew concludes his gospel. The, the disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them to. And when they saw Jesus, they, when they saw this risen Christ, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's in the book. They're seeing the risen Christ, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how Matthew concludes his time to tell us about the life and the ministry, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go to Galilee and receive that commission and go out into the world. The presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Matthew Curry, put out a video this week that was entitled, Where is Your Galilee? It's a really compelling piece. In it, he says, it is in Galilee that the risen Lord will be found and seen, for he has gone ahead of us. Galilee is the way of talking about the world. Galilee in the streets of the city, Galilee in our rural communities, Galilee in our hospitals, Galilee in our office places. Galilee is where God, God's children live and dwell. There, there in Galilee, you will meet the living Christ. Bishop Curry continues on by recounting a conversation that he had with a Mennonite pastor one time in a coffee shop. The Mennonite pastor was in that town, in that city, to do uh, new mission work. He was going to work specifically to establish a worshiping community of people from, who live on the streets. And he said to the bishop that the church cannot wait for the community to come to it. The church must go to the where the people are. The church cannot wait for the people to come to it. The church must go out into Galilee, into the places where the people are. That's a shift of thinking. That's a difference of understanding. That's powerful stuff. There are two messages here. First, to those of you who make church part of your fabric of your life, it's part of your weekly routine. The old saying is, you, you show up when the, church, when the doors are open. And, I, and I, there, there are a lot of us here. And there are some of you I know who have other churches that you participate in, in other communities. You have other places where you do that. For, to those of you who do that, I say thank you. Thank you for your perseverance and for your faithfulness, for your persistence. 
But like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were told, the task is to go out and tell others to get to Galilee to find that place where we can meet the living Christ. Now, a place is an important thing. A place can be holy, but not everyone finds the same places to be holy in the same way. Not everyone thinks the same way. One day, others may appreciate what you or I may think or do, but not, maybe not today. Today, we are told to go out and go to Galilee. The second message I have is for those of you who are on the fringes of community. Whatever that means, however you understand that, you may be in some sort of transition, family, personal, work, school. You may be uncertain. You may have doubts about things, whatever those things are. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your doubts. Thank you for your persistence in seeking ways of finding answers that are compelling for you. The part of the body of Christ that is known as First Presbyterian Church of Church in Columbus is seeking to be faithful in its calling to figure out what going out to Galilee means. It's not always easy. And maybe things aren't always done in the best way, but the intention and the hope is there. And it would be my hope that through that intention, this part of the body of Christ is able to share the good news in the Galilees of the world. Now, I know these two groups are distinct, those people who are, um, have the church as part of the fabric of their lives and those people who maybe feel like they're on the fringe. Those two groups are distinct. However, I also know enough that there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap between who we are in terms of church people and who we are as people who have questions and doubts. Even at the end of Matthew's gospel, some had doubts. Some had questions. Some weren't sure. And they were right there. So I think we're in pretty good company. I cannot tell you today what the future holds for any of us but I do know, I do know this, that our lives would be more abundant and better at so many different levels if we were able to share our doubts and our questions as well as our certainties and our convictions together. Those who were absolutely sure would learn the value of questioning, and those who had questions could see the power of conviction. I invite all of you to come and to join in a work in progress that is the body of Christ, be it here or wherever you live or reside. 
The church needs you, not because the church is desperate for bodies, but because we have a compelling message to share. We have a message of life and hope and resurrection and power. We have something wonderful to share with the Galilees of the world here in Columbus and in Phoenix City and in Harris County and in Russell County, in Georgia, Alabama, and in the world. There is something powerful to share. The first Army chaplain that I got to know well was assigned to the 82nd Airborne in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. The church that I served at the time had supported his ministries during the Gulf Wars in the uh, 1990s. And he would come to our church occasionally and preach and teach, and we got together on a couple of occasions to talk. And we were talking on one of those occasions, and he was telling me that the next week he was having to go back to uh, jump school to be requalified for his jump status. And that struck me as odd. Why would a chaplain need to know how to jump out of an airplane? And he told me, he said, the soldiers to whom I minister, this is their world. They are putting their lives on the line in so many times and places. They are doing this, and I need to be able to go with them to use Bishop Curry's language, his jump qualification was his Galilee. Being able to do that was part of who he was called to be as a chaplain. Who was he going to tell? He was going to tell those soldiers that he was with. And what was he going to tell them? He was going to tell them that God's love for you is so great that I will go with you where you go. What are you going to tell? What are you going to say? What, what story are you going to say? Are you going to give the old conspiracy theory that was concocted in bribery and out of fear? Or will you tell a tale of resurrection? Not resuscitation, but resurrection, new life, new power. God's breaking open the world we know. What tale will you tell? And to whom will you tell that tale? May we go out into the Galilees of our world and share the tale of resurrection and new life. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.